A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week... I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 182. Of the Ministry of Arts podcast, 182. You'd think I'd get the hang of it by now, wouldn't you? Well, this week we have another artist from the Kensington and Chelsea Art Trail, whose most recent work can be found on the streets of High Street Kensington. And it is the absolutely marvellous Richard McNess. Now, in this episode, there will be a bit of echo on Richard's end. There's a few factors that cause this. One, it's a fairly new studio and Richard hasn't had a chance to sort of fill it yet, as it were. And two, because Richard makes fairly large artworks, he needs a fairly large studio. And I would say, after 182 episodes, that Richard's studio is by far the biggest studio that I've ever encountered. Now, it was recorded over Zoom, so I couldn't get the full scale of it. Now, I've done enough Zooms to take a fairly good guess how far away the wall is that's behind the person. And I'm fairly certain Richard's has got a different postcode. (laughs) But as Richard makes clear, it's not in London. So the price per square metre is hell of a lot less. But in this episode, we speak about Portsmouth, New York, Old York, which is where his studio is. And of course, his work that is uh, placed in High Street Kensington as part of the Kensington Chelsea Art Trail. And as I've mentioned several times before, I'm not going to give any input into the artist's work because they could do it much better than me. So please, come and join me over Zoom as I spoke to Richard McNess. I've been looking for a new studio because I've been using a space inside the building where I make other things for money. It's commercial space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you can't 
well, I don't know many people make a living out of art. <laughs> no, no. Face it. So, uh, but um, <laughs> having done sculpture, I learned about mold making, quite a lot of practical skills. And whether it's good or bad, you end up using them to make money. Yeah. Some people get diverted and that, that's what their life becomes, technical stuff. Uh, for me, I managed to do a little conjuring trick where I, I can make stuff for money and I can sell that. And then I can also do my own stuff. So my, my old space was where um, I borrowed a bit of the studio where we do concrete plant containers and furniture. And uh, over the, which is something I started doing about 20 odd years ago when basically I had no money. <laughs> I needed to get out of London because my kids, I needed to, I wanted to get them out of Hackney. And at the time Hackney was quite a troubled place. They're getting a lot of hassle. And- um, What school, year was that, Richard? I don't, what year was that? Uh, that would have been uh, about 2000. Just at the that's just after the millennium, actually. Yeah. So my my kids are in the twenty eight and thirty one now. So that problem doesn't really exist. <laughs> so what we did actually, we rented out our little house in Hackney, thinking, oh, we'll come back when the kids have grown up. And because I didn't want to leave London, actually. I mean, I'm from Yorkshire. I'm from York, which is where I am now. But um, I wanted to to give them a chance to have some of what I had, you know, uh, and uh, that was the countryside, playing down by the river and throwing, setting fire to things and that sort of stuff, you know, Brilliant. so uh, it was a big decision because a lot of people, they leave London and they, they just move just outside London. I didn't want to do that. I thought, let's, 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 let's be generous. Let's go, go big, you know, so it went 200 miles up the M1 and uh, yeah, it, it, it wasn't easy, I'll have to be honest with you, but the great benefit is that you suddenly realize how what, what in London is so difficult, finding space to make things, constantly getting moved out of Waterloo where we had a big studio, then we moved to um, Shoreditch in the early eighties. I worked in Shoreditch and I guess got a first space there in 1981 or two, I think. So before the Bricklayer's Arms was a pub, we had to talk them to open on a Saturday evening just so we could have parties, you know? Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> so it was completely dead and it was cheap as chips. So yeah. uh, me and five other guys had a, a space on Charlotte Road and uh, later on on Rivington Street. My girlfriend had a, at the time, a wife now had a place on Hoxton Square. You know, it was... It's, you know, it's hard even to think now, insane. isn't it? You know, I, you go there now and you think, I can't, it's like a dream, what happened, you know? But so when I left London, it was, it was leaving a lot of good things behind. But uh, the studio I had in Dalston at the time, again, it's sold again, you know, shit, you know, how many times do I have to move? Uh, <laughs> it, just because the developers have caught up with us again. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I really, I thought, right, I, I'm either gonna have to stop bothering making a sculpture or I have to get real about this and put my ego away, like the, the London thing, you know, if you're not in London, you're nobody. And I thought, no, I'm not gonna, I don't accept that. I'm gonna go far away as I possibly can. And uh, the benefit has been this sort of space, you know, it, it's uh, having had that space I just described earlier, which is my previous studio. Yeah. Uh, the, the business that, sort of grew out of just an idea of how do we feed ourselves or make plant containers because I like plants, I like gardens. 
it's something I can do. I know how to use concrete, learn how to use concrete at college. And so I thought, well, that went much better than I had any right to expect. Pretty <laughs> soon I had other people working, helping me, you know, yeah, yeah. it was fun. But um, I always wanted to, all right, you guys do that. And I'm just going to go over here and do this, you know. So I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I was always a bit distracted. Long story short, it, they, they turned out to be much better at it without me. Than they <laughs> yeah, you was a hindrance. I was a nuisance. <laughs> you was a hindrance to your own success. Exactly, I was in my own way. <laughs> so uh, I just let them get on with it and bless them. They, they said, all right, well, you do that, we'll do this, and we'll, we'll, we'll all make money out of it and we can all live, you know, so yeah. that's how it's been. And is that but, still going now? Well, it is, and, um, well, I mean, like I said, I've had a great year because the people that work with me, uh, we all had a bit of a talk about it and said, look, I, I, I said, I, I've got to get away from this because I'm, A, I'm in your way, and B, I really have other things I, I need to do. So they agreed to buy this thing off from me and uh, that enabled me to get this space. Wow. Uh, I don't have very much money to do anything in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you skimmed yourself by it. But, problem. <laughs> yeah. But it's not a bad problem to have, you know. So, yeah, so that here I am in this fantastic uh, industrial space, which I'm uh, fixing up at the moment. And uh, I am so lucky that uh, I actually can't be kicked out of this one. Excellent. <laughs> uh, it's mine. So uh, I, I feel really good about that. And I will be having a party, Gary. And <laughs> yeah. you will be invited. But, but not in the bricklayer's arms. <laughs> not in the bricklayer's arms. <laughs> we'll have to build our own public. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. So, um, I mean, you, you were well ahead of your time because people now are moving a county away from London, aren't they, at, at least? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I grew up in the north, so it's nothing strange about it. No. It's, uh, I must say, though, when I first moved to London when I was about 21, after college, uh, I had the London accent. I found it very hard to, to, to understand. Yeah, it was just grated on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'd go home to, uh, to Yorkshire and I felt much more at home. Anyway, after 20, 25, 30 years, you know, a London accent to me, <laughs> it's like home. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's, I feel quite happy when I'm in London and I yeah. hear the London sound, you know. And it was really funny coming up here because I suddenly felt that it didn't seem, it felt odd, you know, it's like a younger me. Yeah. But yeah. The place you hold most dearly is the way where you actually grow up as an adult. Yeah. You've got your childhood memories and your adult memories. And for me, London is like where I sort of came of age. So I do have a huge uh, affection for London. In fact, when we, when we left London, we rented out our little house and uh, Hackney being what it is, uh, the solicitor, when we bought that house said to me, um, got two kids, you know, he said, I strongly recommend you, you don't buy this house. It's a troubled neighborhood, you know, so, <laughs> uh, what, what else am I gonna do? You know, we'd lived in Bethnal Green and uh, it was a tiny, tiny little house. So we, we need one more bedroom and I can't. So Hackney, and uh, anyway, a few years later, when we finally sold that house, um, the, the solicitor, a different guy, says, I strongly advise you not to sell this house. <laughs> yeah. A gold mine. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's something uh, very tricky about that. But I, we, what we did was when we, when we sold that house, we managed to keep, it gone up a lot in value from being pretty 
one of the cheapest places to live in London to being you yeah. know, quite sought after. Yeah. So yeah. we took that money, we, we bought a small flat near where my, my kids went to school. And uh, that little toehold is, is, is great because my sons both share it now. Brilliant. They moved down to London, they both work at home and they, one's in music, the other one's an animator. So uh, it's like the curse of the werewolf, you know, the arts. It just goes <laughs> in the blood. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> but we try to get them interested in maths and stuff. <laughs> they interested. So, Superb. Yeah. But it's good that they've got a, they've got a little bolt hole in London because they wouldn't yeah. be able to bloody afford the rent otherwise, oh, would they? Oh, I'm Unless so they're glad uh, we did that successful. The idea of well, when Ned first left college, he went to Kingston to do animation. He he rented a place in the Elephant and Castle and it was 600 quid a month and it was literally a tiny room in a shared house and it, yeah. I mean, it, it was, as for what it was, it was it was damp and it was, I thought, this is so horrible, you know, he's it's, it's, it's just left college, he's trying to stick to London and it, it's such a rip-off, you know, and, yeah. I, and when, we, when we had this place, I thought, well, he didn't want to go there because it sounded a bit too much like taking a biscuit off your mum and dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm proud about that, but he stuck it out for quite a while. And I said, I said, look, you're just being stupid. You know, you're spending 600 quid a month on, you could be living with your brother. And so that's all worked out really well. They're, they're happily in there. So, and I can crash on the sofa when, uh, when I need to come to town. So it's good. Um, yeah. I mean, it's very hard to leave London. I, I, I mean, I lived in New York for six years after the shortage thing for various reasons, decided to go and have a pop at New York. As you do, of course. <laughs> I mean, at the time, London's art scene was was really just in its infancy. There weren't very. There was Saatchi, who's since been exposed as a bit of a hollow. Yeah, yeah. See, really, um, but that was it. And there was a couple of other places, but they were very hard to to get to. And uh, you know, you go to New York, and it's like London on double steroids and a turf. <laughs> Brilliant. No, it, it was great. I really was turned on by New York massively. Good. And I thought, I, I've got to go here. And the streets had turned out to be paved with bubble gum, actually, but <laughs> <laughs> rather than gold. <laughs> it was a, I went, I just turned up on a tourist visa. You know, I, I had been teaching uh, sculpture in an art school down in Portsmouth. And uh, I, you don't, it was a full, it was like a, a permanent job, you know, I got, I was only 24. Nice. Got to be a full-time lecturer. It was just sort of a job I just accidentally walked into. I mean, it wouldn't happen now. And uh, I, it was a double-edged sword really, because I was, I was pretty young for doing that. And uh, art schools are quite, um, it's a, like a closeted world all of its own in some ways. And yeah. I, I did that job for seven or eight years. And then I thought, uh, it's like living at home or something, you know, you've, it's too comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is hard work if you're doing it properly. Working in art school is very hard work. It, it isn't a picnic because you're uh, dealing with people and their aspirations and you've got to be responsible about how you, how you work with them. You, know, yeah. you, can't, you like, can easily you, point them in the wrong direction, yeah. Exactly, you, you can't do the minimum. You've got to really care. Yeah. And, it, and it's knackering, you know. If I lived in London. And then I, I did three days a week down on the South Coast. With, and it was, it was absolutely brilliant for me as, as a young man. You know, I learned much more doing that than I did actually at art school, to be honest brilliant. with you. Because I learned from the other tutors and the students. Yeah. 
and there were some great students. I mean, Grace from Perry was one of the students when I was teaching there. Um, I, I'm not going to make any claims about having anything to do with Grayson because he completely stopped the felt. Yeah, yeah. I'm not for a moment saying, you know, I had any, played any part in all that he's done since. What, but... what was that? You said you, you, you was his main influence. <laughs> <laughs> that was it, yeah. <laughs> you <owe> me. <laughs> so, yeah, it, but people, and there were lots of other lecturers going down as well, like Anish Kapoor and people like that. So I Super. unheard of at the time. Yeah. Uh, so it was really good for me. And I, and I learned um, a lot from them. And But after quite a few years of, of teaching art, I thought, well, you know, like I say, it's a bit like living with your mum and dad. It, it sort of looks after you, and yeah. I, and I didn't, I didn't want that. I needed something edgy, something a bit more, but push myself. You know, so I just uh, got a ticket to New York and on a tourist visa, and uh, I thought I'd come back in a year. You know, uh, but I ended up staying there for six years, and and I had a couple of kids while we were there as well, just to good measure. You know, so was your partner now wife? Did you meet her out there or did she go with you? She, she's American. But oh, super. We met in London in, um, in about, I think it was 1980, uh, 19, 1981 or two, I think. Um, when I first moved to London from Bristol, where I was at college, um, I just got lucky and uh, there was a huge pie factory around the back of the old Vic Theatre called Greg's, funnily enough, different company. <laughs> there you go. It was empty, it had been empty for six, seven years, and it was um, full of machines and all sorts. It was a great space, 36,000 square feet. It was yeah. massive. Wow. And the council, Lambeth Council, Labour run at the time, said um, uh, one of, the, guy, one of the, the people I'd met teaching just asked them, can we use this building for, for art studios? <laughs> and they said, yes. So you don't ask, minute. you don't get the Insane. It's insane. But London was shrinking in the end of the 70s. It was, yeah. it was uh, people were leaving and there was more space. There were, it was easier in a way, but yeah. there was no money. There was space, but no money. Now there's money, but there's no space. Yeah. You know, you can't have everything. <laughs> so I, I, after we, uh, there was a massive uh, building that we built an art gallery out of and we had performances. And, you know, again, I learned so much doing that, that sort Brilliant. of stuff. That um, then we moved to Shoreditch when that building eventually got demolished. You can't, they were going to knock it down and make old folks' homes. Yeah. And if it had been anything else, we probably would have <laughs> occupied it. <laughs> old folks' homes. Yeah. Fair play. I can't yeah. Really no, of course. So we had to move. <laughs> it was just one night we all just, just left, you know, like a succession of vans, you know, just came. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it was things like that. I've been really lucky in that way, you know, and I, I can't complain. Good. So, uh, yeah. So knowing your luck, York is going to be the, the next main art scene and you get pushed out of that as well. I don't know, yeah, possibly. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll come and live in here. <laughs> I do have questions that I ask each artist, Richard. Yeah. How would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Um, I use objects to generate feelings. And I look for an emotional response in what I make. Yeah. But... Hopefully that's followed by a series of um, thoughts in a person that help them to look at their own life and look at all of us as a group and see and see what um, what keep what unites us and what keeps us grounded. Yeah. So 
I don't play games about what art is. I'm not particularly interested in, in, in figuring out whether this is art or not. I'm more interested in, okay, I use a conventional format of sculpture, which in its purest sense means a single object made out of sing single material. That's the classical definition. And when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time digging things up and making stuff out of clay just off the riverbank and things like that. So I had a very early sort of uh, love of stuff, you know, yeah, so I was yeah. working with stuff. And uh, so for me, materials have a, a personality and they have associations, you know, whether it's chewing gum or, or wood or, yeah, you know, yeah, bronze. Yeah. They all bring something. And plastic more recently, I, I mean, I, I think sculpture has stretched so far now. And I, I think it's fantastic what's happened in the last, say, just the last 50, 100 years. Almost anything can be sculpture. And, yeah. I, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying don't do that. I've just, I have done that. And I found that for me, it just got so diffused. I have done lots of installations and different materials and things which are completely impermanent. But um, over time, you start realizing, well, I've done all this work. I've got absolutely nothing to show for it because it's all <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> and also, there's, there's very little commercial value in a, in a thing which collapses, you know. So um, I, I've made an effort to consolidate my thoughts and make them more like a haiku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less like a big prose epic, you know, and try to get it down tight. Um, being concise is uh, really it is really difficult. It forces you to to make really sort of careful judgments all the time. And I, I but it strangely emits more information, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, um, because it gives you if you if you have a lot of points of reference. It's a bit like a drawing, which is sketchy. Yeah. You know, you ask the person looking at that drawing to choose the line they want. Whereas for me, that's the artist avoiding the responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Like Ryan in the first yeah. place, which is what you're supposed to be able to do. So I think contemporary art particularly demands a huge amount from its audience. And I've always had a problem with that. I think art has to meet its audience at come towards the audience, come yeah. towards people, bring them to you. And I don't believe in uh, making opaque things which just look interesting because the, you can't get them, you know. I, yeah. I want yeah. things which people see and they respond to. And uh, when, you, when you think about what a sculpture actually is, it's, it's like a person because we are things, human beings are stuff. Yeah. So when we see a thing, like, I don't know, you're walking down the street, you see an, a lamppost that's at an angle. It's slightly bent. It looks like it's leaning over. Maybe it's tired. Maybe it's upset. You might not fit. You know you're doing it, but you're reading that, that lamppost. Yeah, yeah. So sculpture goes straight to the main switchboard inside a person. It, it's already, you've already responded to it before you even know what you're looking at. Yeah. And that, that really, like, straight under the radar thing is, is really important to me. So my sculpture is designed to get at you before you've understood that you're looking at a piece of sculpture and to give you a, an emotional charge. When you then look at it and you think, well, what is it? Why is it here? And how? And what it's, what's it made of? You start asking these questions. Those take you in further into the piece. 
if if you bought if you can be bothered, you know, maybe you just won't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. First thing is job one. You've got to get someone's attention. If you don't get their attention, then you you don't get to play any role at all. So um, you know, it's important that things have a a bit of pizzazz, a bit of a chutzpah, but you don't want that yeah. to. Be. And you know, neon, whatever gets your attention, but it it doesn't necessarily do more than that unless no. you use it just right. So. Um, so that's 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 it for me. And I I honestly believe that art is a huge force for good in, in all sorts of ways. Oh um, yeah, it's massive. That's why I love it. Um, because well, if you like people, if you want to be part of our society, um, it's and you like to make things, and you're interested in poetry. Yeah. Arts, it's a great place where all those things seem to come together, you know. Um, so, you know, it, it, all those things also have a political meaning as well. And politics and our, our natural bedfellows, doesn't matter what anybody says. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and art is a political football to some extent as well. And, you know, the, the degenerate art exhibitions where the worst art was put on <laughs> by the Nazis, you know. Turns out to be that's the art we look at. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. So, any, every time people try to uh, choose what art's acceptable for political reasons, it almost always blows up in the face. Of course, of course. And well, what you're saying there, I mean, I, I don't know if you know anything about my story at all. But... I, I do, I do. Actually, I've been listening to your work. Uh, oh, there you go. Well, I discovered I, art I, in prison. And it, yeah. it, it's changed my outlook yeah. 180 degrees. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's, I was always, as most criminals, you know, very selfish people um, just by nature. And yeah, then that made me look at myself in a different way, which then made me look at others in a different way. And then by proxy, it's made me look at the world in a different way because that's what artists have to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's just made me a happy person rather than what I was, you know. And, when I went to art school, I thought I'd been told I could draw. Uh, I felt comfortable. My, my mom was a drawer. She's a very good drawer. Watching her and my brothers and sisters do things like that it drew me into the whole idea of self-expression or yeah. not to draw something that looks like the thing you're looking at. You know? <laughs> <laughs> drawing, I found out it was called, I thought it was just called drawing. But yeah. So when I went to art school and they say that, that doesn't mean anything. You, you tell them no. <laughs> all the things that you thought were good, and they just throw them away. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you learn, you learn that no, no, it's not like that. It's incredibly difficult to go through that. It's agony, and, yeah. and I find it really difficult to have all this stuff prized out of my hands and, and just jumped up and down on them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's you, you, you go to art school, they take it a bit, and then you spend the rest of your life trying to put yourself back together. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all recovering art students. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a great thing to have happen to you. At the time, it's horrible. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when it starts to make sense, mm. that that is, as you say, that's the, that's the beautiful thing. And I don't know whether that is confidence. I don't know if it's education, whether it's, I, I don't know what it is, but at a certain point, the stars just start, start to align slightly and you have a little bit of clarity and you go, ah, oh, that's the direction. That's yeah. that's me. That's the me I've been looking for. Absolutely. And I, I think it's uh, it's really interesting to hear what, what you went through to get where you are, because 
you are the polar opposite to me. Yeah. You know, I, I went, I was, I was in a family, I got four brothers and five sisters. Wow. Uh, so it's a big family, noisy, had a bit of fighting. Yeah. Uh, a lot of tantrums and stuff as you'd expect, and a lot of competition for the from parents' attention. Yeah, of course. Um, and so um, I, as being one of the younger ones, I, I learned, you know, to get attention, you have to do something that stands out. And, and I, so that's when I sort of learned, well, if I make this and show it, like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned, I learned this reward system, you know, and then to go to art school and have that all this thrown away was a very painful experience. <laughs> but, but after, after time, you know, you, you start to find what you're really about. And I think life, life experience, it, it shapes the way you think and feel about things. And, yeah. you know, I think for someone who's been through your amazing sort of parabola, and it, it's uh, incredibly helpful to have a chance to, to create, to make something new, to, write, yeah. to make yeah. something. It, it's, it's, a, it's amazing what, what, what that'll do for, for, for you and for people that know you, because it's not just the person who's having that experience, it's yeah. all the other people they know, you know. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Great. Did you always want to be an artist? Well, it's funny, you know, because I, I can't tell you for sure. I, I, knew, I knew I wanted to, to live a life full of feeling. And uh, I sometimes thought that I might like to, to sing or act or, or perform in some yeah, way. And I soon yeah. learned how much too shy for that. <laughs> uh, and I don't come across as shy, but actually I'm quite a quiet person when I'm yeah. not talking to someone interesting, you know. I, I I, uh, I let the work speak for me, you know. I don't. This is one of the nice things about art. You, you don't have to be there; it no. does does it for you. So, but um, I learned that I could. I, I wasn't that kind of person. So, uh, but I I uh, I first went to. I thought about doing architecture or engineering or something, but none of them really felt right. My sister went to art school in York, and I went to visit her, and I walked through the sculpture department, and I just thought. I really like this place. <laughs> People in there making all sorts of interesting things, and and I and, I, and that I was sixteen, and uh, I hated school. Uh, I didn't get on at school. I left with basically no qualifications, really. I think I had four C- CSEs, which means I turned up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, like the, it's like the attendance record, basically. Yeah. I didn't. You didn't have to do A levels in those days, so I went straight to art school and. Um, I, I realized after being a bit miserable at school um, and getting into a lot of fights and stuff, 
uh, just not fitting in and being the weird one, I found a place where I, I was like completely at home with all these other people. Yeah, and, yeah. and it really, and I can't tell you what that felt like to me. It was like the sun came out, you know, it really was. Yeah, and yeah, I know I, exactly where you're coming I, I from. I feel like that. It's not easy. It, no. It's not leisure. People confuse no. art with leisure. It isn't leisure. So it's difficult. And uh, there's a lot of pressure at art school to to be a genius, which is bullshit. Yeah, especially <laughs> especially because there's no direction when you leave there either. Yeah. It's there's just like opening a sack of helium balloons, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you sort of just go up in the air and, and hope that you get a, a really the right good, gust of wind. That's a lovely metaphor, actually. It's exactly what it's like. All that sort of power just disappears. <laughs> yeah. And, and it floats away and it's very lonely. It's a very hard thing to do because um, there's no job. You're on your own, mate. Make your own map, fill it in and come back to us when you've got it. Yeah. <laughs> I think what did it for me as well is just seeing some of, um, it's not very fashionable now, but at the time when I was a child, um, my, my sister won a prize for writing an essay and she came back with the, the present. The prize was this book about Michelangelo. Oh, well. I saw those carvings he did of the slaves in the stone. And yeah. They're only half out. And I, I, I'd never seen anything like it. Are they the ones where the shadow has to hit them? Yeah. And they, and they, they are. How from, amazing is that? I, I just thought they're very, I didn't know at the time, but they're very sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Very erotic. And they're very homo, homoerotic. And they've got this amazing incredible uh, technical perfection, but they're very yeah. loose as well. They're, they're amazing things. And uh, I think when I saw them, I thought, wow, that, that's a person in stone that's trying to escape from it. It just really hit me. Yeah. Uh, I must have been yeah. about 14, I think. And so there was a, you know, you're, you're just starting to develop a sexual persona. I mean, I, I'm not um, necessarily responding to them in a, in a I think, the heterosexual homosexual question is something you, you're working on at that time <laughs> yeah life and I, I think there's probably something something of that there as well yeah yeah and uh so it was it was really interesting and i think that those objects made me realize that a lump of stone can yeah, make I you know. i know it's just you couldn't imagine um so i i i thought yeah that that's probably when i decided i wanted to be a sculptor yeah uh that's all i've done ever Brilliant. since well, before I ask any more questions, um, the artwork behind you, I, I know no one else can see it. Um, it looks rather like Domus, yeah. which is part of the Kensington Chelsea Art Tour. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, um, a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, I was asked to be in an exhibition about found objects. Brilliant. And I, I have used found things many years ago, but I found... I. I couldn't go anywhere. I just didn't, they didn't work for me. So what I decided to do was to find something and then work from it. So I found a crisp packet on the pavement. The technical element aside, I, I coated it with copper. I electroplated it. Nice. So they built up a thickness of metal. So it was made out of copper after that. So it looked exactly like a crisp packet. It was coated in copper. Brilliant. So it's like, it certainly went from being a piece of crap off the street to being an ancient artifact. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like something from a Roman grave or something. It, yeah. is a, it took on a whole different meaning. And when I was saying earlier about different materials have different associations, 
taking that thing, and then I did a couple of other things which I gold-plated, so they took on this sort of grave goods sort of feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was that that triggered this uh, interest in packaging and um, things that you find which are discarded, which, I mean, if you imagine someone from the Roman period finding a, a Coke can, they'd yeah. be absolutely but they are technically the really interesting things. So that the large sort of uh, bag form behind me is, it's something based on one of those uh, empty packets lying on the street and how they uh, actually, you know, talking about art school, one of the things that art school does for you is it opens your eyes to, you forget about value and you just see things. Yeah, so yeah. you look at something in formal terms and a crisp packet is a really beautiful object, so shiny sort of silver inside, the graphics on the outside like tattoos on a body yeah yeah the, the, and it has a figure to feel to it because it's a form like an envelope and a human being is an envelope a skin envelope so we are a package we are a vessel so this idea of a hollow hollow shape a shape which has no content it's just a skin and and that this empty this thing about something being empty is really interesting to me so that that large cave-like form it's just basically a, a, a massive package that's left lying on the side just here behind me as if you could crawl into it and spend yeah, the night there. Yeah. Um, and the way we, when you buy fast food or crisps or whatever it is, you open the packet, you put the crisp inside your body and the packet is empty. Then you open your car door and you get in your car. Things have been <laughs> <Yeah. there. laughs> You think about what's happening and you just look at it. Yeah. We're putting things inside ourselves. We're putting ourselves inside other things. Yeah. We wear the car like a coat. Car says something about you. You, you eat the, the thing that you eat because you're hungry, but also because it has a branding on it. So yeah. we're a loose amalgam of, of a loyalties and brand, brand uh, kind of brand values. Definitely. We don't even know we're doing it. We're just working our way through this invisible jungle of products. Yeah. So the idea of you put yourself inside a crisp packet uh, you might have already, <laughs> you know, it, it's just echo, echoes about skin, about self, about food, about shelter. Yeah. It's all the big chunky things in life, like how do you keep yourself safe and warm? How do you keep yourself fed? How, and th those things are right at the bedrock of humanness. And that, that's where I feel my subject is, is mainly to do with what's human, what's synthetic, what's technical, uh, technology and nature yeah. inside human beings. So we're natural, but we also make technology, which is synthetic. So we're in the middle of something rather interesting. And th this, uh, the, the basic human needs of food, sex, warmth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Versus the technical things about um, how artificial intelligence is developing, how um, boundaries are dissolving between when you hear the voice on the phone, is it a person or is it a computer? Sometimes for a moment, you're not quite sure. No. Boundary that's dissolving. Yeah. And also in food that's natural that you can see growing on a tree or something that comes out of a can or a jar. Yeah. Where does the natural part go there? What parts it plays? So, so it's a complicated answer, Gary, I'm afraid, yeah. but it's, I, I don't find it easy to verbalize because language is my second language, you know? <laughs> Brilliant.
<laughs> but there's there's something so beautiful about taking a lost stroke found object discarded object and making someone else aware of that by either uh, discoloring it taking it out of scale uh, making it from a, di a different material but when i first discovered art one of the first artists that i um loved their work was klaus oldenburg oh i'm so glad you said that <laughs> oh brilliant i really am and and that he'd done exactly the same making something hard soft or vice versa you hit the nail right on the head there, mate. That when I was first at art school, when I saw Carlos Oldenburg's soft drum kit. <laughs> I was just about to say his soft drum oh kit. God. Sorry to shout at you. <laughs> it just struck me as so great. I just yeah. love that thing. And it honestly, that that's the day when I sort of felt that sculpture can be almost anything, yeah. you know. But it is still one one more or less one thing made out of one material, so it does still satisfy that. Yeah. A very pure essential form of sculpture, but it but it's actually done in a completely different way. With it's funny, but it's also importantly different. It, it's yeah. not just funny. It doesn't. Yeah. So no, I, I love Carl Carlsenberg actually. And, Good. I mean, I saw a picture of him actually. Uh, I was on Pinterest or something, and uh, he's walking down. I think it's Piccadilly in London, in about oh, yeah. it must be mid sixties, yeah. and he's got this huge toothpaste tube <laughs> holding it around. <laughs> And it, he's got this hat, Homburg hat on his head. Yeah. And it, he's just, I just thought, I love this guy. <laughs> Carry it to the gallery or something himself. Yeah. I don't think he, he didn't make much money early on. And uh, I think we all sympathise with that. And I just thought, uh, I really like the, uh, you know, when, you, when you're in art, art you, you, know, you, you don't have much of a budget. And you end up doing the most preposterous things to try and get stuff to happen on, yeah, on yeah. money. And uh, just seeing him do that, I mean, I'm sure you've done the same. You find yourself in a rented van, sort of with no petrol. Oh, and yeah. Like, How the hell did I get in this situation? Yeah. That, was, that was last Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> the practical problems. Oh, dear. It, no, he's great. I, I really love his stuff, actually. But that's, that's the feeling I get. And... Um, a friend of mine whose podcast is out this week is Gavin Turk. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I've met Gavin a couple of times over the years. And he, he's done similar to what, um, to what you do and um, recreate discarded objects in, I mean, he does it in bronze. I didn't see what metal yours was in, but you had, uh, again, like the, the takeaway um, parcels. And I, I thought the, the, blister the tablet blister pack was was just stunning because it the more yeah. delicate the object and you know it, it being yeah. in a hard material but yeah making those out of, of metal as well superb oh good thank you i mean i i just made them out of clay and then i i uh getting cast stuff done in bronze is expensive as you know yeah. i mean yeah. I, I made a little foundry of my own with a gas gas cylinder and um my, my son ned helped me make this thing and we just I was quite surprised how straightforward it turned out to be this melting the bronze and um it, it wasn't too bad and uh yeah and then I got them gold plated so uh we did that one on the cheap actually <laughs> but that's that you just have to do what you can you, know, you have so um yeah I uh I actually I, I listened to that podcast with, with you and talking to Gavin Turk that yeah. was really interesting and um I, I really like his uh 
he's he's bullshit free gavin yeah and I, and that's really good i i, I think it that's one uh, of the, the the things that has always appealed to me is just his honesty in yeah. his in himself and his yeah. subject yeah yeah and it, it's in it the thing about that basically the best the artists i really like they take the work seriously yeah but they don't take themselves seriously yeah yeah that, there's a big difference there because you do meet people in the art world who, who have not got that balance no let's just put it that way yeah and uh, that that that's what sort of puts you off a bit sometimes <laughs> um but you know it's uh i think the great thing about Kelsey and chelsea art week is uh it's really wonderful that they do this and that they're amazing someone like yourself involved yeah it can't be cheap um and it and it's it's open-ended in the sense that it could go horribly wrong yeah but they've got the right people in charge i mean Vestalia's good and she's, she's amazing yeah she's great she's very professional and she's very committed and i yeah. uh, i think it's wonderful what she's done it's a hell of a lot of work yeah she, she doesn't seem particularly like she doesn't seem worn out by it she seems no. to enjoy it well it she's, she's also got a great team behind her yeah, as well you know true. and john gray as well he's good i've mentioned this on the podcast before but kensington and chelsea is quite a strange old borough of london mm. it's got both sides of the economic ladder living cheek by jowl um, there will be the extremely wealthy with the, you know, the, the very poor. The, the Kensington Chelsea Art Trail cater for all of those people. And, mm. and that's, that's what I like. It, it's bringing the, the, the two worlds together, you know? Absolutely. I, I think it's brilliant. I, I think what kills me is that um, <laughs> the piece I have on Kensington Church, uh, High Street, the first, the first day I was in there, I, I noticed a few sort of strange like lines on the top of it. And then I realised... People are skateboarding over Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, I don't mind them doing that. I would no. just love to see a picture of it, you know, because yeah. they obviously do it at night or something. And, and I thought that was, uh, yeah, why not? Um, it's there to whatever happens, happens. Well, you, know? you put something on the street, it becomes part of the street, doesn't it? You know, really, it's, yeah. it's not yours anymore. No, no, it was, I really, I was really happy when John Gray found that spot for me. Yeah, because I don't really, I don't really like plinths. Yeah, I, I could have put that thing on a plinth, but I, I don't like plinths. So I, I like something that just looks like it's just there, blown in. Someone's blown in. Yeah, exactly. Blown out the car window. So it, it was really great that it could be on the on the pavement, which is where it was made to be. And yeah, uh, it's good. I was really. It's happy. not started gathering any rubbish at all, is it? It, it things get blown underneath it. Um, yeah, I like, quite like uh, the idea of that. It's uh, yeah. You know, it's like the the other rubbish doing some sort of exodus yep. to the to the big brother. You know, king bag. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. It's been a really fantastic experience for me, and I love the art bus and everything. And super, yeah. And we we just spoke about some other artists there. One of the questions that I do have is, if there was you and five other artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be? That's a really uh tricky one uh past and present okay uh, past or well, present or present well i'd certainly i've always loved eva hess nice and uh she was uh a massive thing for me when i first encountered her in the 70s um also i do love Klaus oldenburg but and yes yeah, so I, I i put Klaus in there why not <laughs> uh possibly 
not his soft things, but his, uh, he did that project, the store, where it's a shop window with all sorts of things, cakes. Yeah. And I, I thought that was very interesting. The performance work, you know, um, that's, that's true. Um, there are so many. Um, I do, there's some people I wouldn't put in a show with me because um, I think probably for people, I think if I put my contemporaries in, I think it, I don't think that would work so well as people from the past. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think, funnily enough, I mean, I wouldn't have said this a few years ago, but I would say Barbara Hepworth would be an interesting addition. Yeah, yeah. So different and really important female artists who um, I, I think I'd never really looked at, a bit like Henry Moore, just sort of brown lumps everywhere and you sort of walk past them and don't pay any attention. But as you get older and you, you start to, at the time I went to art school, Henry Moore was still considered like a really great leading artist. Yeah. And, and I just thought, piss off, basically. <laughs> uh, I just thought it was the worst kind of crap ever, you know, but yeah. no, I, I, I can see more in it now. And, and I think Barbara Hepworth, I probably, I didn't, I think feel quite so strongly against her, but I do, I do now, I, I see what she was doing and I, and some of her stuff is absolutely fabulous. So I'd definitely put her in. Brilliant. I think I would like to put a painter in, and that would probably be someone you may, may or may not have heard of, Roger van der Weyden, who's, uh, he, he's got I don't this piece. It's, it's, it's not very well known, um, but he has a piece in Philadelphia Museum of Art, which is this huge uh, triptych just of the uh, Jesus being taken off the cross and given to his mother. And uh, okay. it, it's so modern looking. It is the most incredible piece of work. It, it, if you ever got a chance to see it, it's in, uh, it's on online, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's Roger van der Weyden and it's called The Deposition. Brilliant. And it's just uh, a huge painting as well. And it's done in 1430. Love it. It's so old and it looks so new. Honestly. Yeah. You wouldn't be surprised if someone told you it was last year. It's I love it when that happens. Incredible thing. And I, it really blew me off my, in fact, every, every time I go to Philly, which is where my wife's from, see her family, whatever, I, I always go and have a look at this thing. It's my yeah. old college. It's got nothing really to do with what I do, but there's something about it that um, the, the way he uses shapes and stuff, it's very sculptural. It, and it, religious art, you know, that was the subject for hundreds of years. So his, his own take on that is really unique. Yeah. Super. Yeah, so, um, yeah, is that enough? I can't remember. <laughs> I think so. What, and, and what do you think you'd like to be if you wasn't an artist? Uh, you know, uh, that's a really good question. I, I think I, the more and more I look at the, the way things are, um, the way things are going, and I, I feel as though, the only answer is to be somehow involved in in political in some sort of organization that has a political objective because there's so much going wrong. I find it really upsetting sometimes if you stop and think about it. How the hell do we get into this situation where the planet's boiling over and no one seems to be doing anything? No. It it's appalling. I I it's indulgent to say that and not do anything myself, you know, but yeah. what can you do as an individual? We've been told by corporations that it's our fault 
because our yeah. carbon footprint's too big. But it's nothing to do with my carbon footprint. No. It's your fucking corporation. <laughs> yeah. It, it's been put on us and it isn't us. I just feel as though, why, why aren't we hearing more about that sort of thing? You know, well, I think that? all you can do as an artist is, like you just said, being a part of something and and sort of hold hands with with another artist who's holding hands with another artist. And yeah. that's, that's, I think, all you can do. Yeah. And when you're around people like that, and I'm only on the fringes of it, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a sort of active activist myself. When I sort of met up with them, it does give you that, it gives you that little something that, that it's not all bad. There are people Absolutely. trying really hard to make yeah. a change, you know? Just going back a couple of years to the anti-Brexit march in London, um, going on that was hugely calming, calming, because you thought, well, there's, there's a lot of people here with the same viewpoint about, about yeah. this. And uh, I mean, I've always said I'm a, I'm a, a, York, a, a European from Yorkshire. Yeah. That's the way I see myself, and I, I don't see why, why that had to change. It has done, and I, I think that's been a massive problem. And I, I'd love to have been able to do something about that, but we're stuck with it now. So, but I, I agree with you that uh, some art can be too obviously political. And for me, the best it's like those posters from the Soviet Union with people marching with, yeah, yeah, so yeah. It socialist realism it just turns you off, but. When I talk about what I do in a tiny little way, changing someone's perspective on on value and and what what the correct proportion of we should all have each of what we have as a country, rather than a few people having most of it and the rest of us making do with what's yeah. left. It you know it's not that difficult to figure out what's wrong. No, it's getting something to change is just I sometimes. Just think, yeah, maybe if I wasn't an artist, maybe I'd do, I'd do that. But I don't think I'd be very good at it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to stick to one art, to be honest. But with then, you. then you can just make artwork alongside alongside someone that is good at it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, so it's six or one doesn't it? Actually, because <laughs> your interviews reveal things, and I think that's that's part of what it's opening eyes. Opening yeah. people's eyes is the main thing, and so they can see the structures. Behind yeah. all the bullshit. Yeah, just make people look at things from a different angle and see things that they hadn't done before, which is which is what art is all about, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, have you got anything else coming up at the moment? I've got a show. I'm in a group show in, in Germany uh, towards the, at the end of the year. And um, when I get this space finished, I'm going to have, I don't know what, something. But <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be, I, it'll be sculptures. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to having a big party in here, actually. It'll be good. Excellent. And how old is that studio? Uh, I've only had it since uh, January. And oh, it's full of old junk and stuff. So I've been a hell of a lot of clearing out to do. So Excellent. It's getting there now. So you're still floating about finding new things in there? Yeah, I am actually. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Where can anyone find what you do, be it website or social media? Uh, my website is richardmcness.com. And I have an Instagram account, which is uh, at Richard McNash. Brilliant. Well, Richard, that's all my questions asked. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Nice to talk to you, Gary. Uh, it's a great, great project you've got there. Thank you very much. Okay. I'll speak Cheers, to you soon. Hello.
I'm Vesalia Chilton, the director of Kensington Chelsea Art Week and Art Trail. The artist you've just been listening to is part of the Kensington Chelsea Art Week and Art Trail. The Art Trail starts on the 18th of June and ends on the 31st of August. You can find all the details on our website, kcaw.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So we wasn't dictated to by advertisers, we decided from the offset to go ad-free, which means obviously we had to self-fund. So we set up the Ministry of Arts Patreon page. And without that support, we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support the podcast, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a Linktree drop-down box, which will direct you straight to our Patreon page. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep us growing week by week. But if you're not able to do that, that's fine because this content is free for everyone. But leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. Or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Everything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening. And until next week, Zadar. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 